the reading of the Scriptures. I found in Acts chapter 13, reading verses 44 to 52, and I invite your hearing with reverence and faith of God's Word here in Acts chapter 13. The next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the Word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, our account this morning is uh, a return to uh, what will be prevailing themes in the book of Acts, namely um, the advance of the word that is uh, paralleled with uh, great opposition. Uh, it's a reminder of uh, the end-time tribulation uh, breaks first upon uh, our Savior in the crucifixion, but now it's going to fall upon uh, the church as they are obedient to advance uh, the word of the faith. And it's good for us to remember that because the two go together. There's always going to be the advance of the word, and there's always going to be a parallel opposition. Uh, there's always going to be victors. Uh, all who are in Christ are victors because he is the ultimate victor. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, always going to be the vanquished. Uh, those who oppose the advance of the Word of God will, of course, uh, be vanquished. And uh, as, we, as we go through this text, we will uh, see markers that break out the two parties. There's markers of the vanquished. There's markers of the victors. Uh, I'd like to begin first with uh, marker, a marker of uh, the victors and uh, that is uh, their uh, steadfast adherence to the Word of God. Uh, geographically, we are still in Antioch. Uh, a large uh, number turn out to hear Paul on the Sabbath. On the previous Sabbath, uh, Paul, uh, if, as you recall, has uh, spoken from the Word of God of the history of Israel and their rejection of the resurrection of Christ. And then he examines three texts from the Old Testament that speak to the resurrection of Christ. And then he concludes with a warning from uh, the prophet Habakkuk. So Paul is uh, aligning himself with the Word of God. 
the victors in the church of Jesus Christ align themselves with the Word of God. Uh, the parallel, of course, is the vanquished oppose the Word of God, which is what we will see in, in this text. Uh, it's very instructive. There's also another continuity uh, besides Paul's alignment with the Word of God, and that is his sermon is parallel to the great sermons of Peter and uh, Stephen. And again, Scripture is the key. Uh, it's always a key. It's key to your individual life and devotions. It is absolute key to the life of the church. Uh, on this particular uh, Sabbath, uh, Paul again uh, speaks uh, from uh, the Word of God. If you look at verse 44, the whole city, uh, figure of speech, but nonetheless, a large number of the city assembles to hear what? The Word of God. A reminder to us that uh, if a uh, pagan crew can gather to hear the Word of God, how much more so the church of Jesus Christ. So that uh, this, uh, uh, this method of the Apostle Paul uh, is an essential marker that he belongs with the victors. Uh, as you know, Christ is the living Word. We embrace Him as the living Word of God, so that is the Apostles' uh, alignment. Uh, it's also a remarkable parallel. I won't spend any time on this. Uh, uh, remarkable alignment with uh, the great promises of the Word of God from the prophet Isaiah, that the Word of God will advance. It will accomplish the purposes for which God is ordained. Uh, nothing will falter. Nothing will fail. The Word, again, will always succeed because the living Word uh, can never be defeated. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's look at a, at a marker of the vanquished. Verse 45, they are going to reject the Word and the Spirit. Uh, there are uh, three key elements uh, uh, in this text. First, uh, Again, looking at Acts 13, verse 45, uh, they are filled with jealousy. It is a reminder, uh, for example, Acts chapter 5, verse 17, uh, the high priest, uh, along with all of his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Uh, so they're jealous at the accomplishments of the Word of God. Uh, and that jealousy exists in the life of the world today. A major theme in Acts is the coming of the Spirit and the Spirit filling uh, the sons of God to advance the witness of Christ. The opposition lacks the Spirit uh, and they're enraged uh, by, uh, by jealousy. They're jealous of what the Spirit is accomplishing. And this, of course, is why they, were, why they will lose. That's why I've tagged them with the in ignominious label as the vanquished. Because they oppose the Spirit, they will lose. Opposition to the Spirit of God will always lose. Opposition to the Word of God will always lose. Uh, secondly, they begin contradicting the words spoken by the Apostle Paul. Again, verse 45, began contradicting 
the things spoken by Paul. Uh, the, uh, the verbal marker here is continuous action. They continually contradict, uh, but it's certainly a correct translation to say that they began contradicting. Uh, and they not only begin contradicting, but they will continue contradicting. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Greek text is literally they speak against the Word of God. Uh, and that is the marker that they will be vanquished. Uh, when you set yourself up as the, uh, as, uh, the opponents of the Word of God, uh, you will eventually fail. You will eventually fall. You will eventually become your own train wreck. Because the word uh, we know from the prophet Isaiah, but certainly here in the book of Acts, will always succeed in the things that God uh, sends it to do. Uh, you and I know that the word cannot fail. Uh, that's why it's essential as a Christian you should have private devotions full of the word of God. That's why the central marker of the life of the church uh, should be the Word of God. Uh, because God will prosper His Word and it will fulfill exactly in the things that God has intended it to succeed in. Lastly, uh, Luke tells us uh, that they blaspheme the Word um, because the Word speaks about Jesus and they're in opposition to Jesus. You and I must understand that this is uh, ultimately one of the sources of the opposition that we face as Christians. Uh, the world hates God. It hates the Son of God. Uh, and uh, that alignment, of course, is their ultimate destruction. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, um, they will continue to oppose that which the Word speaks to, namely the majesty of Christ. Uh, reminded of, uh, of uh, what occurred at the trial of our Savior, Luke twenty two sixty five, 65. And they were saying many other things against Him blaspheming. So, they're blaspheming uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in opposition to the Savior. The appointed eternal vice-regent of God Himself. Which means what? They will fail. Psalm 2. They will fail. Uh, they will be destroyed. Uh, again, you and I know that uh, God has ordained uh, the success of uh, Jesus. And as I've suggested time and again, uh, He will not uh, fail. So our victors, the apostolic company, identify with the Word of God. They identify with the Spirit. They identify with Christ. In a moment, they're going to identify with the Messianic mission as another marker of their success. Uh, and so in verses 46 to 49, uh, the apostolic company, our victors, and all who are aligned with them align themselves with the Messianic mission and uh, method. And that's essential to uh, their victory, but it's also essential to the victory of the life of the church. An alignment with uh, uh, the Messianic King, Christ the Messiah, uh, and, uh, and His mission. And whenever the church strays from that, 
it is either corrected by God in revival or it aligns itself with the opposition. Uh, you and I need to understand that many churches reject the inspiration and authority of the Word of God, so they oppose the Word of God, which means indirectly that they're in opposition to that which the Word speaks, which is about Christ. And the moment you align yourself with that, then uh, you will become your own train wreck. Uh, you are aligned with the opposition, and uh, you will be vanquished. It's essential to victory, uh, namely Christ the victor. Uh, the apostles acknowledged that they uh, uh, spoke to the crowd that's gathered, verse uh, 46, first part, about the necessity, the necessity uh, with, uh, pardon me, of the Word of God. It was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you. It's an element of our Lord's priority to go to the Jews first, but ultimately to the Gentiles. And because they reject the Word of God and choose death over life, the apostles turn to the Gentiles. Again, look at the latter part of verse 46. Since you repudiate the living word of the living Christ and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So if you understand the shift that's going on here, Peter has, for the most part, aligned himself with a mission to the Jews. Peter is now being moved off of the scene for the priority of the Apostle Paul, and much of the ministry of the Apostle Paul will be to the Gentiles. So remarkable things are occurring, but it is it's an alignment, remarkably so, of our Lord's mission to reach the Gentiles. So our victors are aligning themselves with the eternal call of God, and ultimately the mission of the Messiah. So they're going to go elsewhere. They're turning to the Gentiles. It's really an act of judgment. It's an implicit act of judgment. Uh, when uh, the Jews turn away, Paul turns away too. Uh, and he explains his turning. It's very important. He explains his turning by quoting Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, in Acts 13, verse 47. Notice the text. For, in other words, he's explaining why he's turning. Isaiah 49, 6, is, uh, as perhaps you know, uh, has its context as uh, the second servant song in the prophet Isaiah. So Luke is aligning himself with the prophet Isaiah. And the servant song is about the spiritual renewal in the servant son. And it's very interesting if you, uh, if you turn to Isaiah 49, uh, Messiah assumes the failed role of the nation. I mean, as you know from the broad context of the prophet Isaiah, uh, uh, 
it, it has committed idolatry. It's turned away from God. And so God is going to raise up uh, a, a new Israel who will perform the will of God. Who is that new Israel? Well, again, look at Isaiah 49.3. And he said to me, so God the Father is speaking to the servant son. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. Uh, Israel in the Old Testament uh, rejected their role as a servant of God. And so God raises up a new Israel, the servant of God in the servant son. You are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. And this servant son, remarkably, uh, does not fail. He succeeds in everything that God the Father gives him to do. Uh, very uh, uh, famous Old Testament uh, scholar uh, from the lineage of uh, Old Princeton Seminary, uh, E.J. Young, uh, says of uh, this text that Christ sums up in Himself what Israel was to be. What a great reminder of the grace of God. Israel has failed, but God does not fail. He raises up a new Israel beginning with Christ, uh, his, uh, his true Israel. Uh, the mission is uh, overwhelming, uh, but uh, Messiah will rest in the divine uh, provision of success. Uh, again, if, you, uh, if you're in the prophet Isaiah chapter 49, you look at verse 4, uh, the Messiah complains, but I said I've toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. I mean, you could say in a uh, momentary uh, burst of complaint that Messiah goes to the cross. He seemingly is vanquished, but he aligns himself for the eternal purposes of God. And he knows that, that is his victory. Uh, the application is... Uh, it's key for us as Christians that when you align yourself with the message and ministry of Messiah, uh, you are aligning yourself with nothing more or less than the providence and the sovereignty of the eternal God who is the everlasting King. Now, my friend, uh, that's an essential alignment. Uh, because if you are aligned in opposition uh, uh, the great King of Heaven will destroy you ultimately. You will be vanquished uh, in His own time and providence. But uh, it's an implicit summons uh, to bow before the Messianic King, to embrace the One uh, whom God the Father has embraced, to come to Jesus, sue for peace, uh, believe and hope in Him uh, for uh, everlasting life. It's the key to the victory of the Christian uh, it's a key to victory in life. Uh, so, so, beautiful reminder uh, to align yourself uh, with, with the majesty of God. Uh, and, uh, and certainly we will face opposition. Uh, sometimes the opposition will appear to be winning. I read a recent account from a political magazine that I read uh, 
about the church in China. It's reeling from distress. It's reeling from persecution. Uh, it's having to go back underground. Uh, illustration of faithful ministers of the Word of God in China. Chinese government says, uh, come, we're going we're to take you and harvest your organs. How'd you like to face that as opposition? Everything about your life is tied to, your, uh, to the organs of your body, but the government simply is going to harvest them. Guess who's going to win that battle, ladies and gentlemen? God will ultimately win. Uh, China will ultimately be defeated. The forces of opposition who ultimately oppose God will ultimately lose. They're tagged as the vanquished. Say, well, power socks. I mean, they seem to be winning or advancing uh, everywhere geographically, South China Sea, going everywhere. It's irrelevant. They will lose because they oppose God. Uh, but returning back to Isaiah uh, 49, um, we've been looking at the words of Messiah, uh, the new servant of God, Israel. Uh, but in verses 5 to 6, uh, we shift from Messiah speaking to God speaking. So God the Father now uh, begins to speak. Uh, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read that text. Now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The text constitutes a mission statement to Messiah and to the church and all who are in Messiah who are the end-time Israel. It's a mission statement. First, the mission is to go and to gather Israel. Uh, so Jesus first goes to the house of Israel. He gathers 12. Isn't that an interesting number? There were 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. Now there's 12 new tribes in the New Testament in the apostles. And the 12 gather a remnant. And Acts documents this fulfillment. The mission statement of Christ to the church in Acts 1.8, carry the word of God to the ends of the earth. Original mission statement to the Messiah, it's being fulfilled uh, in the pages of the book of Acts. It's fulfilled literally in the life of the history of the church because the church picks up that mission statement. So the mission statement is of uh, universal gathering of the sons of God. Uh, again, let's, let's look at how Paul uses Isaiah 49.6 in Acts 13. Uh, Acts 13.47, For thus the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. Um, initially, uh, this metaphor of light 
applies to Jesus as he is the initial identification of the servant's son. Uh, Luke um, chapter 2, verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel, that the world was dark and light has come. Uh, when you become a Christian by uh, believing and hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and guilt, you were once a child of darkness, but coming to him, you are now a child of everlasting light. Uh, and identifying yourself with the uh, messianic servant son, your light will never be extinguished. It'll only shine all the brighter until it breaks forth in the brightness of the majesty of eternal glory. Again, uh, Luke 2.32 is one of the remnant true sons of God identifying uh, uh, with uh, Messiah. Explicitly stated, uh, the metaphor of light uh, by our Savior in John chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, wh what a great promise that's an extension of the, of the mission of our messianic king. The light of the world. The world is in darkness but the light has come. Uh, gathering uh, the sons of God. Uh, and then Messiah commissions the apostles uh, to go uh, international. Uh, certainly, we understand that from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Go to the ends of the earth. Uh, but there's another text that's parallel to that. Luke 24, 47 and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Why is that significant? Because we're studying that living, living history. It begins in Jerusalem, goes to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And you know what? Nothing will stop it. Not even the government of China with all of its power. Not even in their blatant Opposition by harvesting the organs of Christian ministers. In other words, uh, what I'm suggesting by the Apostle Paul's use of the prophet Isaiah is that he's applying the mission of Messiah to himself. And that's why the apostolic company is now turning to the Gentiles. I have placed you, Paul, as a light for the Gentiles, that you, Paul, should bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And that's why Paul has turned from Israel to the Gentiles. So Paul quotes the song as being fulfilled by him in Antioch so that he himself is identifying himself with the message and the ministry of King Messiah. Paul, like Jesus, is fulfilling the mission of Israel. Ultimately, uh, 
as I know most of you, as uh, being ethnic Gentiles, this is what brought you to faith. The mission of Messiah, picked up by the Apostle Paul and passed on to the church as a light to the nations. The light which is Jesus Christ. Everything out, outside of him is darkness. But he is light. Uh, a light which is advancing to the ends of the earth. Uh, so, Paul too is a member of the righteous remnant uh, turning to the nations. The use of the Old Testament is an affirmation. An affirmation of the fulfillment of the mission. Uh, Christ only succeeded partially because of his crucifixion, but his mission is picked up by the apostolic company and ultimately breaks upon uh, the life of the church. So again, Christ secures the victory and in aligning and identifying ourselves with him, we are the victors too. I'm uh, not unmindful that we are missing a few sports seasons in our country, but who knows, perhaps football will come off and everyone's picking their uh, favorite teams and who's going to win uh, uh, this uh, championship and that championship. I think the uh, who's number one, who's number six. Uh, pick the ultimate victor, ladies and gentlemen, who is Christ. He will win. All who are in him will win too. The immediate expression of the victory is in Acts 13, 48, and 49. The immediate expression of the victory of the Apostle Paul is given to us by Luke in verses 48 and 49. Let's read that text. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. Notice, notice what is happening here. The Gentiles begin rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Because they now know they've been included in eternal life too. Because they learn that they have been included in the eternal decree of God to gather uh, the sons of light by the eternal Son of light. That's the effect. The effect of the Word. The mission is successful. Notice the cause. Again, the effect is many believe. But let's look at the cause. As many as had been appointed into eternal life believed. The cause is the eternal decree of God that is being manifest in successful mission among the Gentiles. And everyone who had been appointed to eternal life, everyone that had been predestined to eternal life, believed. Remarkable success. Again, do you, do you see that the word cannot fail? Do you see that the decrees of God cannot fail? the appointment comes to pass. As many as God appointed to believe, believe. Remarkable success. The advance of the Word of God. From the Greek text, uh, 
It's a perfect passive participle, which is completed action in past time with continuing results to the present. Completed action is the decree of God in eternity past. The results in the present are the Gentiles believe because they too were appointed to eternal life. What a great cause for us to rejoice. Think about it. God included you if you're a Christian. Brought you into the everlasting kingdom of life. Included you even though you were not worthy. He marked you out in eternity past. The Gentiles, the passive voice is that the Gentiles were acted upon by the Spirit who affects the new birth. Remarkable provision of the sovereignty of God. Uh, the grace of God in the Spirit gathering His own, bringing them to Christ, causing them to believe. Uh, and since God decreed it, it must come to pass. Now, I understand in my life I plan lots of things. Most of them uh, become their own train wrecks when God plans something. It will happen. It is happening here. Let's turn very quickly just to make sure the Apostle Paul gives us another reminder of this. Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Uh, church at Ephesus is uh, by and large a Gentile church. Um, and how did they become a Gentile church? The sons of God, children of light. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. What a great promise. What a great fulfillment. God's saving His people according to the good pleasure of His will. Oh, to be on that team. Oh, to align yourself with the ultimate victor, the decrees of God, God the King of Heaven, and His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we owe our faith to our election and the sovereign grace of a merciful God. This is why we're the victors, because God makes us so in His sovereign power. And our witness will bear fruit. God has ordained it. We witness because God has predestined the result. Oftentimes I hear the complaint of Christians, well, if you Calvinists are right, why should we witness God is predestined who the believers are going to be? Well, we witness because He ordains us to witness. He gives us the high calling of bearing the message. We witness because He's predestined the results. If He didn't predestine the results, there would be no reason to witness because dead men can't believe. So He gives us the high calling of the privilege of uh, witnessing to Him, carrying forth the Word of God, and looking uh, to Him to work by His sovereign power and grace. Uh, that He makes us His witnesses, and uh, He does something else. He gives us the content of the witness. Uh, let's turn very quickly to back to the prophet Isaiah. Uh, because there's another fulfillment here that's very important. Isaiah chapter 43. I'm going to read uh, Isaiah 43 
in verses 10 to 13. Uh, and notice the address. Um, as, as God speaks, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed and there is no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am He. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it? The text is so obvious. Our God is the everlasting King. And He gives us the majesty of the content of our witness. He makes us His witnesses by sovereign grace, and then He gives the content. What is that content? That there is no other God but Him. There's no other Savior but His Son, Jesus Christ. The mission and the message He gives to us. And so, we will continue to experience opposition, but our success is guaranteed. Now, the irony of the opposition is as it opposes uh, the apostolic company, as it opposes the church, whether it be in North Korea or China or Saudi Arabia or Canada or, or North or South America or wherever it is in the world, there will be opposition, but it will come to no end. The word will always advance. And that is what we have in verse 49, Acts chapter 13. But the word of the Lord was being spread to the whole region. The word of God is advancing. It's like an army in and of itself. Making geographic gains. Begins with King Messiah. Falls to the apostolic company that ultimately falls to the church. Remarkable uh, alignment uh, with the Apostle Paul to the mission and the message of King Messiah. I trust it's your alignment. Because uh, outside of it, uh, there is uh, ultimate uh, opposition against God and the Word of God to which uh, the Word speaks, which is always about King Messiah, His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, who will, of course, uh, uh, win and be successful because of who He is. And therefore, all who are aligned with Him and who identify with Him will be ultimate victors too. Uh, well, there's another uh, marker of uh, opposition, verses 50 to 52. Um, the Jews stir up opposition, instigate persecution, and uh, drive them out. Uh, again, look at the text, verse 50. They instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Um, and that's occurring all over the world. In this case, they drove them out of their district. Uh, 
Verse 51, they engage, uh, Paul and Barnabas engage in utter act of contempt for what's uh, happened to them, uh, but uh, they are undeterred. Uh, the victors move to Iconium, verse 51. And they are undeterred because they are victors in their identification with Messiah, His Word, His Spirit, His mission, uh, His message. And in verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. It's another element of our victory, the Spirit with us. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God is with us. So we cannot lose because He will always win. These are, I believe from the text, um, compelling reasons to believe in Christ. To identify with Him. To align yourself with Him. Uh, the message, the mission, the blessings of the Father. And the sad yet ultimate reality as well that opposition will ultimately unravel and fail and be defeated. And the victors will come upon the scene because of their identification with the great victor who is Christ, our King Messiah.